About 40 minutes into his annual State of the State address, Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy sounded like he was just about finished. As I get ready to close, I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak with you and the great people of Alaska tonight. But there is one last thing, and this is important. <clears throat> it's no secret to anyone that I'm a pro-life governor, and my administration is ready to work with all of you over the next four years to achieve the goal to make Alaska the most pro-life state in the country. Dunleavy spent about five minutes talking about becoming a pro-life state, conspicuously never using the word abortion. Through the actions we'll take together, when people ask which of the 50 states values children and families the most, from the moment of conception on, I hope they say Alaska. He and many other Alaska politicians have been trying and failing for the most part to chip away at Alaska's constitutionally protected right to access an abortion. Some efforts have lasted decades. My Shingit name is Khaukukla. I come from the Dukdane Tan clan from Glacier Bay. My family comes from Huna. My taxpayer's name is Yolanda Fulmer. And I am a Shingit woman. Yolanda Fulmer highlighted a couple notable moments of this anti-abortion rights history during a Planned Parenthood rally last summer in Juneau. Rep. Kevin McCabe, supporter of the Alaska House of Representatives budget amendment to defund Medicaid coverage for abortion states. I don't really care if we have to run it through courts 100 times. Let's, Let's run, run it through the, the courts. courts. Maybe, Maybe we'll get a different outcome. We have got to start caring about our preborn. That's all there is to it. Sir, 43% of, of abortions were covered by Medicaid last year in Alaska. Nearly 50% of Medicaid recipients in Alaska are Native people. So you would rather waste resources on exhausting the courts for your personal agenda than help impoverished people. Rep. David Eastman censured for saying you yeah, have individuals, individuals uh, who are in villages and, um, you know, are glad to be pregnant so that they can have an abortion uh, because there's a free trip to Anchorage involved. In this episode, you'll hear how, despite these votes and comments and other state legislative efforts, abortion in Alaska remains legal. And there are efforts currently underway that could mean even greater access to reproductive health care. We stand on a precipice of the potential to greatly expand not only abortion access, but healthcare access in the state. You're listening to Private Right from the Alaska Beacon, a show about abortion in Alaska, a conservative state with a strong right to choose. I'm Lisa Fu. In this series, you'll hear Alaskans talk about abortion and its impact on the state and their lives. The stories and voices throughout the series represent different, nuanced perspectives on both sides of the issue. This is Episode 5, A Pro-Life State. Dunleavy was elected in 2018 after saying he opposed abortion, including in cases of rape or incest. These days, he emphasizes that being a pro-life state means changing policy and taking action to increase Alaska's population. We need more people in Alaska, not less. 
We need more people in our jobs. We need more people in our schools. We need more people who create wealth. We need more families achieving the American dream. He mentioned his Healthy Families Initiative, which includes a bill to extend Medicaid coverage for new mothers from 60 days to one year. I know this might sound strange to some, but we have to make it okay. We have to make it okay again to have families, to put a family together, and to have children. Kids are a blessing, and they shouldn't be viewed as a burden. About a week later, Dunleavy was a guest on Alaska Public Media's Talk of Alaska, hosted by Lori Townsend. And clarification about what he meant by pro-life state came up. We didn't mention abortion in my state of the state speech. It was about being the most pro-life state. Uh, Interconnected issues at some levels, but also not at others. Well, when you say pro-life, people automatically assume that you're talking about access to abortion. And right. And what, what, I, what I laid out was a, a place that's inviting for families, supportive of families. He again brought up expanding Medicaid for postpartum mothers. You're pro-life if you, uh, if you make Alaska a more inviting place for people to come and want to have families, whether that's better schools, whether that's uh, uh, cheaper housing, uh, cheaper fuel. So you're not talking about trying to repeal or amend oh, the I, right I to think, privacy here? Yeah, I don't think anyone I, I don't think there's anyone in the state of Alaska that doesn't know that in pro life that if uh, if Roe v. Wade in Alaska was repealed, I think that would be a good thing. The question is how, how does that happen? It only happens through a constitutional amendment. And if this legislature is is not interested in passing a constitutional amendment, it makes it difficult. Dunleavy hasn't yet proposed any legislation this year that could lead to restrictions on abortion rights. But last June, when the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, ending the federal constitutional right to abortion, he said he'd take action. In a press release, Dunleavy said the court presented an opportunity for the people of Alaska, not a handful of elected officials or appointed judges, to decide the future of abortion in Alaska. Dunleavy said he would propose a constitutional amendment on whether abortion should be a protected right. Back then, though, it wasn't known if Dunleavy would remain governor. It was the middle of the summer and the election was still months away. Dunleavy ended up winning. So did more than enough legislators to block a constitutional amendment on abortion. What didn't win? A constitutional convention. Voters handily rejected holding a constitutional convention, which was championed by conservatives like talk radio hosts. A convention could have challenged Alaska's abortion rights. The ballot question for constitutional convention. The ballot question has failed. There, I mean, just there's just no two ways about it. A few weeks later, before his holiday open house event, Dunleavy talked again about the resolution in response to a question. Basically, what it would do is allow the people themselves to decide if, if uh, uh, abortion is, would be legal in all cases, if abortion would be um, limited in certain cases. But Dunleavy wasn't sure then if he would introduce it during this legislative session. We're discussing that. Um, Given the nature of the legislature, we don't know where that will go. By February, his office still didn't give a definitive answer. So this is where things stand. While there may be a governor who calls himself pro-life, more than enough lawmakers appear ready to block changing the state constitution regarding abortion.
For the past few decades, Alaska lawmakers have focused on restricting abortion through state law, not the state constitution. They've introduced several bills almost every session to weaken Alaska's right to access an abortion. A couple have resulted in Alaska Supreme Court cases. The details of the cases show why it's so hard to restrict this right. In 1997, the legislature debated a bill requiring minors to get permission or consent from a parent, guardian, or court before they could receive an abortion. The journey of the parental consent bill would last close to two decades and was a roller coaster. CS for Senate Bill 24 Finance and Act relating to a requirement that a parent, guardian, or custodian consent before certain minors receive an abortion. Speaking on the Senate floor, bill sponsor Senator Lauren Lehman said the bill was a small step toward making abortion less plentiful. That if the legislature can encourage children to communicate with parents, that will reduce the number of abortions. Just a note, audio of Senator Lehman is not great. This is not an abstraction. There are very real cases where parents have not been notified that their daughters are having an abortion. In fact, in some cases, the daughters were encouraged by school counselors, perhaps friends and others, to get an abortion and not notify the parents. These situations, he said, present health risks. Senator Johnny Ellis said the bill would delay care that could threaten the health and life of the person seeking an abortion. Ultimately, he said, the bill infringes on a person's constitutional right to have an abortion. A yes vote on the bill is anti-choice, he said. And with all due respect to those who have pushed this bill diligently over the years, I believe their ultimate goal is to chip away at the right to choose and to force others to adhere to their sense of morality. The ultimate objective is to make abortion illegal in our state, and that should concern anyone who values their constitutional rights and their freedom. The bill passed the Senate and House. Then Governor Tony Knowles vetoed it. He called the bill constitutionally vague and unnecessary. The legislature overrode the governor's veto. So the bill ended up in the courts. And a decade later, the Alaska Supreme Court struck down the parental consent bill, saying it violated minors' fundamental right to privacy under the state constitution. The fight for parental consent doesn't end there, though. For two legislative sessions in a row, Representative John Coghill introduced similar legislation, which failed to pass. But in 2010, citizens initiated a ballot measure that would require doctors to notify parents when a minor was seeking an abortion and penalize doctors who did not receive parents' consent. It passed with 56% yes votes and became law. Then in July 2016... Today, the Alaska Supreme Court overturned the state's parental notification law for minors seeking abortions. Again, Alaska Supreme Court judges said a law violated the state constitution's right to privacy, as well as its equal protection clause. There was another major legislative fight over abortion. This one has been over state funding. In the late 1990s, the state government stopped funding abortions for low-income residents. In 2001, the Alaska Supreme Court ruled that Alaska was violating the Equal Protection Clause and the state must fund these abortions. That if the state chooses to fund other medically necessary cases related to pregnancy under Medicare, 
it must also cover medically necessary abortions. More than a decade later, in 2013, lawmakers, including then-Senator Mike Dunleavy, sought to define medically necessary in an effort to limit state funding for what they considered elective abortions. The bill narrowed the definition to cover only cases of rape or incest, or if the abortion prevented serious risk to the life or physical health of a pregnant person. It listed physical conditions like seizures, kidney infection, and congestive heart failure, but did not include any mental health conditions. The debate over the bill was intense. Here were some arguments heard on the Senate and House floors for limiting Medicaid funding for abortions. Because this bill really pivots only on one question. Who pays for medically necessary and who pays for elective? That's the question. I don't like the way we have evolved in our discussion about the legislature. We seem to have just handed so much over to the court. They are not our masters. We make the laws. And we should defend our branch of government. Uh, one member on the body here purports that that should be between the doctor and the woman. I agree. But when you're asking other people to pay for it, you're asking them to be included in that decision too. And so if it's purely elective, that should be between the doctor and the woman, between the person and their checkbook. If it's truly medically necessary, we as a, we as a people, we want to step up and say, we're here to help. Finally, one more thing. This does not limit the person's right to choose. Equal protection does not mean that the government pays. We've got the right to travel but it doesn't mean that the government buys us a ticket to Paris. We've got the right to bear arms, but the government doesn't buy us a Sturm Ruger. And here were some arguments against. Want to talk about government overreach? If you're a poor woman or a healthcare provider, this is the worst kind of interference one can imagine. I've listened to this body complain about regulation and interference with everything from gold miners to traffic signals. But when it comes to women's bodies and their health, I suppose regulation and interference by this legislature is just fine. We're talking about a constitutional issue here, Mr. President. You can't pass laws to change the Constitution. And that is what we are trying to do here, Mr. President. I am very uncomfortable with the statement that the legislature will make if this bill passes that it's okay to treat poor women differently than other women. All women in Alaska deserve equal protection under the law. All women in Alaska should have access to this right that is the right to reproductive freedom, to make choices in the privacy of that doctor's office. Those were the voices of lawmakers John Coghill, Pete Kelly, Gabrielle Ledoux, Harriet Drummond, Bill Wilikowski, and Garen Tarr. The bill defining a medically necessary abortion passed in 2014. Five years later, the Alaska Supreme Court struck it down, saying it violated the state constitution's guarantee of equal protection. A lower court years earlier had already barred the measure from being enforced. Within those five years that it took the state Supreme Court to make that decision, Dunleavy went from being a state senator to the governor. And in 2019, he tried to take action on his own. To show his dislike for the court's decision surrounding Medicaid funding for abortion, he vetoed about $335,000 from the court's budget. 
He said that was the amount the state spent on elective abortions the year prior. The legislative and executive branch are opposed to state-funded elective abortions, a budget document said. The only branch of government that insists on state-funded elected abortions is the Supreme Court. An Alaska court eventually ruled his veto as being unconstitutional. Despite the Alaska Supreme Court upholding the right to abortion over and over again, the Alaska House has repeatedly voted to amend the budget to eliminate state funding for abortion. Here's Representative Chris Kirka, who proposed the amendment in 2022. It also cuts $350,000 from the Medicaid budget, which is a very, very small estimate of how much the state of Alaska pays every year to kill kids in the womb, Madam Speaker. The House amendment that passed on the floor didn't make it into the final budget. The language from the Senate was more symbolic, didn't make any actual change to state practice, and avoided the possibility of yet another court case. So for decades, Alaska has elected several governors and legislative majorities and even passed a ballot measure that have tried to restrict abortion rights. And the Alaska court's interpretation of the state constitution have stood in their way. The state is in a legal battle over abortion right now, and the case has already resulted in greater access to abortion for Alaskans. At the end of 2019, Planned Parenthood filed a lawsuit challenging an Alaska law that says abortions can only be performed by physician. It was also challenging a regulation indicating that medication abortion cannot be administered by nurse practitioners or physician assistants. Before the lawsuit, that meant for medication abortions, a clinician or a physician needed to meet with the patient in person and prescribe and hand that medication to the patient. That's Rose O'Hara Jolly, Alaska State Director for Planned Parenthood Alliance Advocates. Rose said the requirement to have a physician not only prescribe, but hand out that medication was an unnecessary burden, especially for people who have to travel to one of only three Planned Parenthood health clinics, either in Anchorage, Fairbanks, or Juneau. Planned Parenthood is the main healthcare provider in Alaska that offers abortions, and physicians may only be available one day a week at each clinic, whereas advanced nurse practitioners are more readily available. Nurse practitioners or physician assistants are licensed healthcare providers with advanced education and training, and Planned Parenthood argued are qualified to hand out the medication required for a medication abortion. In November 2021, a Superior Court judge agreed and granted Planned Parenthood's motion for preliminary injunction. That means while the rest of the court case plays out, who can hand out the medicine for medication abortion has expanded beyond just physicians. Now, every day that that clinician is working is a day where they can hold telehealth appointments across the state and all of our other locations. And our advanced uh, nurse practitioners in those locations can then dispense that medication. In granting the preliminary injunction, the court said Planned Parenthood was likely to succeed on the merits of its claim. 
which was that prohibiting advanced practice clinicians like nurse practitioners from providing medication abortions violates patients' constitutional rights to privacy and equal protection. The court said medication abortion has a low risk of complications, and the state was unable to justify to the court why advanced practice clinicians couldn't administer medication abortions when they use the same type of medication to treat patients experiencing miscarriages. At the moment, people still have to physically go to a Planned Parenthood, but the wait time to have a physician hand you the medication is now gone. So it's allowing for more appointments and more availability, uh, especially with something like medication abortion, where time is of the essence and does matter. It's allowing for the expansion of access to that care across the state. Currently, the case is scheduled to be heard in March. Ideally, in the future, Plant Parenthood could expand the service by partnering with other advanced nurse practitioners to eliminate the need for people to have to travel to a Planned Parenthood clinic. I am optimistic in the future about us being able to continue to expand access to this care, but this is a first expansion and so moving in the right direction. That brings us up to today. A new Alaska legislature has been elected. So far, there's been only one resolution introduced to challenge Alaska's right to an abortion. Shelley Hughes' Senate Joint Resolution proposes amending the state constitution to add these words. To protect human life, nothing in this constitution may be construed to secure or protect a right to an abortion or require the state to fund an abortion. This resolution is the same legislation Hughes has sponsored before, most recently in 2021. That year, it was one of several pieces of legislation regarding abortion. With the national abortion landscape, there's a lot of uncertainty. What Medicaid pays for, which abortion medication is available, and other issues will continue to be fought out in Congress and in the courts. And as the U.S. Supreme Court has shown, it's willing to overturn presidents when it comes to abortion. In Alaska, despite Roe v. Wade being overturned, despite decades of effort to restrict abortion rights, access to reproductive rights seems to be on solid ground. The state Senate majority has said they likely won't take up abortion bills. The Alaska courts have a consistent record of upholding abortion as a right. And even a newly re-elected governor who describes himself as pro-life hasn't proposed abortion restrictions lately. But Alaskans continue to elect many politicians who have a long-term goal of restricting abortion rights. These lawmakers would like to change how judges are picked, with the goal of having different rulings. Alaska continues to show over and over that it's a conservative state with a strong right to choose. This episode was written, reported, and produced by me, Lisa Fu. It was edited by Andrew Kitchenman and engineered by Dave Waldron. Audio of the Senate and House floors, as well as the State of the State Address, came from KTOO Gavel, Alaska, and the Alaska Legislature. Other audio came from Alaska Public Media's Talk of Alaska and Alaska News Nightly, as well as The Michael Duke Show. 
music throughout the series by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks to Kelly Birkinshaw and Jennifer Fletcher for their assistance. This is Private Right from the Alaska Beacon.